Hello, and welcome to episode 56 of Greater Than Code. I'm Sam Livingston Gray, and I'm pleased as punch to welcome my friend and co-panelist, Jessica Kerr. Good morning! I am thrilled to be here today because our guest is Karanda Adair. Karanda is the CEO of Carvel Digital, a digital marketing agency that helps established businesses double their revenue in 12 months using online marketing. She loves empowering small business owners to not be intimidated by all this tech stuff. And she's often covered in cats. Karanda, how many cats? Two. Not quite a cat pile, but enough. <laughs> but they're entitled enough that they can cover you, right? Yeah, no, they can totally cover me. There is a recent post of just like shenanigans under a blanket happening while I'm trying to nap. And it's, <laughs> it's epic. Cats make better blankets than pillows. This is true. They get cranky when you try to lay on them. That's the most enthusiastic introduction I've ever had. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I, I'm like really enthusiastic today because you said you want to talk about systems. <laughs> I am that's true. That's, that's pretty much all I want to talk about these days. Sweet. So why are you excited about systems? I'm always curious. Oh, okay. I could go on about this for a while, but... What do we mean by systems? Good question. So I recently read a book called Work the System by Sam Carpenter, and he points out repeatedly that everything that ever happens on planet Earth is the result of a step-by-step -step process. One, two, three, four equals result. The whole premise of the book is that if you manage your systems so that you control the output rather than fire killing and dealing with the bad results of unmanaged systems, you will have a better business, a happier life, et cetera, et cetera. That's interesting because I think of systems quite the opposite as one, two, three, four result. In my reading, the interesting bits about complex systems is that there is no clear causality in most cases. We only construct the causality retrospectively. But there are many conditions that make it possible for something to happen. And then one trigger, which is often small. Wow. So this should be an interesting conversation. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Reconcile those in 30 seconds. Go. Like your website went down because one database replica had a network partition. But there were like six other conditions that led that to cause your whole website to go down. And in a lot of what we do in DevOps and in uh, infrastructure these days is mitigate those possible failures and like make the right. conditions not exist. But the mitigation is the system management, right? If your website is down and you say, well, it went down because of this, and then you further say, okay, it went down because of this. How can we prevent that from happening again? That part is system management where you go back and say, well, this partition went down, so we need more redundancy or we need, you know, whatever it is to keep that from happening again. That's system management. And you can do it proactively, but you're never going to get everything perfect. And so when there are either mistakes or accidents or whatever, like those are gifts basically telling you, hey, your system could be better and inviting you to go and fix it. Yes. So it's more like, well, it's kind of like one, two, three in parallel conditions and then four and then something happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we actually disagree. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like we don't. Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, like on the face of it, it seems like, you know, a lot of creative people would uh, object to that sort of mechanistic sounding description of like one, two, three, four, because, you know, if I sit down to write a piece of code or I refactor somebody else's bit of code. You know, if I sit down and and analyze it very deeply, there are, you know, one or 17 steps in my head, but they're all the result of my own life experience that nobody else can duplicate. Right. But it sounds like you're talking about uh, a little bit more repeatable process. Well, yeah, because I mean, the context of this book is business. And so, right. and I'm running a business. And so that's the context in which I think about it. I mean, it works for pretty much every part of life, but particularly in a business, especially a business that you want to grow beyond just being one person, if you don't have repeatable processes, you know, and you start hiring people, then you can't really be effective because they're all just waiting on you to, you know, check their work or tell them what to do or et cetera, et cetera. So like one way that I put this in place is, I have been sending out a newsletter every Sunday, and that means I 
think of the ideas, I write the newsletter, I spell check the newsletter, I put it in active campaign, I schedule, you know, like all the stuff. And so when I got a virtual assistant, I filmed myself doing all of the steps for, you know, spell checking and putting it into active campaign and scheduling. And I sent that to the VA and I said, write a process for this based on this video. And then I took what he wrote and, you know, said, okay, you left out this part. And we, you know, we worked on it until I felt like, okay, if you follow these steps, you're going to get the same result every time, which is a newsletter that goes out at 6am on Sunday. And so then my job became just write the newsletter and send it over. And then he would schedule it and do all the other things. And so then I get that hour back every week. Nice. Like Mandy does with this podcast. We just show up and talk to people. Exactly. Like y'all <laughs> yeah. seem to have a pretty good system. <laughs> Mandy has a system. Yeah, it's sweet. Yeah. So I'm basically trying to do that for everything in my business, you know, figuring out what are the things that happen over and over again and writing processes for them. And this is this is the part of business that most people don't want to do and find boring. And so they don't do it. And so then they wonder why everything is chaos. And really? it's it's really interesting once your mindset changes to then look at the world and look at how other people sort of manage things, go, oh, yeah, that could be really a lot better and a lot less stressful if you would do these things, but you won't. <laughs> that sounds like just applying a developer mindset or a programmer mindset to Yeah, exactly. Business that's systems. what we do when we code things, right? Exactly. Yeah, we have yeah. to set down all the steps <clears throat> in order and exactly what to do in each contingency. Yeah. It's, it, it's automation. Pretty much. And people think that automation means that you can't be creative, but I don't think that's true either. I think once you understand what your role is and what the outcome is supposed to be and the steps to get there, then within that, you can be really creative. Yeah. And especially, I was going to say, like one of the steps in programming can be throw up your hands and wait for a human to solve it, right? That's raising an <laughs> exception, which... You can totally do, right? If you can automate 90% of or even 80% of like the boring stuff, then that leaves you so much more time to deal with the special cases and the interesting parts. Exactly. I'm basically trying to write myself into the position where my job within the company is mostly to work on strategy with clients and write content marketing. Like that's what I would like to do all the time. Yeah, so you're automating yourself, but in the sense that you write a process for people instead of the computer like we do. Exactly. I program in people now. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds messy. Yeah, no, it's super messy. And someone recently said to me about their mentor, who doesn't really code much anymore, he said, yeah, I program in grad student now. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, and that and for a long time, you know, when I first started my business, I really didn't want to, I didn't have aspirations to hire people or grow or do any of that stuff. I was like, oh, people are messy and it's hard and I'm just going to code my way into the sunset. And then I realized if I want to have a life, then I have to build something that runs without me. And that means other people. So it's hard finding people. I recently had to let go of my first virtual assistant because there wasn't enough attention to detail. Like I was writing all these things down and then they weren't being followed. And I'm like, okay, come on. Like <laughs> if I'm going to spend all this work, then you got to follow it. So it's super messy, but it's also like, and this is something actually, now that I think about it, one of my early mentors at the one tech company that I worked at kind of went through the same process where he was really, really amazing developer and then moved into, you know, management and running the company. And he was like, the challenges are really kind of the same. Like you're just programming and people and spreadsheets and, you know, it, it's just different challenges, but it's the same kind of mindset in terms of getting the output that you want. And completely different strategies for doing it. Right. So when I heard you wanted to talk about systems, my first thought was uh, about something like, for example, getting things done or personal Kanban or some of those other systems that people use to manage their own volume of work. And I'm wondering if you use one of those, uh, if you have managed to make one of those stick. I haven't really gone deeply into any of the, I like, I know about getting things done and I know the premise of it. And I think maybe a few years ago, I sort of made a half-hearted effort, but nothing has stuck. And I think the strategy that I'm using right now is to try to focus on one thing and fix it 
basically forever. And so like right now, my email is a disaster because I'm focused on fixing something else. I'm focused on the processes and documentation for the business because that's going to allow me to bring in people and say, okay, I need these things done. And I can just say, and here's how to do it. And it's all documented. That will give me my time back to then go and fix my email. And by fix it, I don't just mean like wade through the whatever 33,000 that there are now, but like unsubscribe from a ton of things, figure out what is the system that I'm going to use to keep email under control, implement that system, and then fix that forever. And then I'll move on to another thing. Maybe it'll be, you know, scheduling or I don't know, but it's a really hard way to work because when things are chaos, which a lot of things around me are chaos right now, you just kind of want to like dive into all of it. And that's a good way to not get much done at all. And so it's been really hard, but for the last probably four months, I've just been focused on, I'm going to implement enough systems in my business that I can pass things off to people and get the results that I want. Yeah. Cause when you're trying to accomplish something, we gain our power from all the things that we don't do. Right. Yeah. And just trying to get the time to do this one thing. Like I just, I've been trying to launch a product for two years. <laughs> it's just been, it's just been one struggle after another. And so I finally scaled it down and said, okay, let me release like the first 20% of this. Let me just do a launch and, and do the first 20% of this. So I did that. And now I'm trying to finish out the actual lesson. So the product is the working websites course, which is kind of become my side hustle that I would like to become my, my main hustle at some point. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to launch this thing and that's going to force me to create it. And so now I'm creating it and then I will have something that exists, something that I can sell that doesn't then take up more of my time, which is the thing that I've been trying to do for two years. You do have a focus on reclaiming your time. Yeah. It's, I don't see my family as much as I want. I don't see my friends as much as I want. I don't spend enough time on home stuff. Yeah. There's so many more things that need my time that I don't have. And so the way to get that back is to fix the things in, in the business that can be automated and repeated and, and sort of buy back my time that way. Right. You can't just do the things. You can't just answer the emails. You have to go meta and like build a better way to answer emails or pare them down. Yeah. And in the, well, I don't know if it's in the work the system book, but Sam has a lot of blog posts and things and, or maybe it was on a podcast and he talks about how he handles email and in his whole company, their goal is to never have more than like 20 or 30 emails in their inbox. And they largely succeed at that. And so, and I actually wrote, um, I was reading a blog post on the website. I was, man, this text is way too small. And so I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to write to him about it because apparently they all read their email in a timely fashion. <laughs> sure enough, the next day I got a reply from Sam. He was like, you're totally right. Like, cause basically the email was like, come on, dude. Like, I know you've got to be in your sixties, like, and your core audience is probably over 40. So what is with this tiny text? And he said, Oh, you're absolutely right. He's like, I am in my sixties and my tech team, they're all in their thirties. And uh, I'm sending them off an email right now to work on this. And then he was like, Hey, what's your address? I want to send you my books. And then, so I gave it to him. And two days later, books showed up. And sure enough, if you go, he wrote some business documentation software. And if you go in there, there's a there's a bunch of sample processes. And one of them is how to send a gift to a client. <laughs> so nice. I'm sure when, as soon as you know, I sent him my address, he fired that off to someone else and said, send her some books. And then it happened. And he works two hours a week. Wow. Yeah. He went from working a hundred hours a week to two hours a week. So I'm like, well, clearly this guy knows something that other people don't. So <laughs> that sounds like macroing the hell out of your business. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And there's another good book that I like called traction. The subtitle is get a grip on your business and it's through the um, entrepreneurial operating system, eosworldwide.com. There's a, there's actually a guy outside fixing our fence gate right now. And this fence company, they came in and put up the first half of our fence, like in the front of our house. And they were amazing. They said, oh, we're going to be out on this day to look at the property. They showed up, but they said, we're going to get you a quote. They got us a quote, you know, the day before they came to build the first section of fence. I said, well, what time are you going to be here? 
They said, well, it depends. We have our Wednesday meeting and it depends how many issues are on the issues list. And that's a, that's a really particular way to say something like that. And I said, oh, has your boss read traction? He said, oh yeah, we're an EOS company. And I said, oh, everything makes sense now. Like <laughs> why all your stuff is dialed, why you're so expensive, you know, why your work is so good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it all made sense. Like it kind of made me want to just you know, the next time we need something done, like just go to EOS and be like, do you have anybody who does this? Because, <laughs> because if someone's running their business that way, it's a pretty good bet that they, their stuff is dialed and they, they have systems in place and they, and you know, they're doing quality stuff. So in fact, there was an issue with the gate, but because of the way they run their company they're like, Oh, we'll send somebody out to fix it. And, uh, it's a very, very different experience from, you know, other contractors we've worked with and, I actually wrote a blog post or I think it was an email that's like, why are freelancers so flaky? And it's largely because they don't have systems and they're not charging enough. And so then they're like chasing the next job <laughs> to pay for the work that they're doing that they undercharged you for when it's like, if you just, if you just charged enough to really pay attention and do things, you know, the way they need to be done, then you could get a better result. That's just like a theme that keeps showing up. That sounds like a whole other topic right there. Yeah. The uh, the Venn diagram of good, fast, cheap. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, we've run, we've run afoul of that in our um, search for a, a landscape contractor to do our yard. So it's become a project. <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's like software. Uh, doing it cheap turns out to be really expensive. It does. Yeah. And this, I mean, I've been on both sides of that equation. Like I've been the one to screw it up and I've been the one to be like, what is going on? And yeah, so now, you know, when people come to me and they're like, well, can you give me a quote? I want to compare with this other quote. I'm like, yeah, mine will be more expensive. Tell me what the result that you want is. Like what's in your budget is a real thing, right? But if what's in your budget can't get you the result that you need, then you have to figure something else out. Because pretending that you can get what you need with a budget that's too small is going to get you some half done thing or something that doesn't work. And then you're going to be out of money and not still not have the result. So the first time I really understood that was about a year ago when someone came to me and, you know, he wanted like e-commerce and bookings and like all this stuff. And he said, Oh, my budget's $3,500. I'm like, yeah, we can't even keep talking for that. And I said, look, this is what it's going to take to get the result you said you wanted. And if you want to keep talking, just know that. So he did and went forward. And that's like the most successful site that I've launched to date. And he immediately started making money hand over fist when the new site launched, because now instead of like spending all his time on the phone with people who are like trying to book this shuttle, they're just going to the website. There's a giant FAQ that answers all their questions that tells them to go book their hiking permit and then they can book their shuttle. And then they, you know, they show up. So that really kind of made that hit home for me. I love that it's called entrepreneurial operating system because that illustrates that in our work in systems that have to do with people, I think we've been learning a lot from software. Yeah, because in software, you can't not work within the system because then it won't work. <laughs> so you're, you're forced to figure out okay, how does the computer understand this, right? Oh, that's true. You can't just say, this person is stupid. It's the computer. I mean, you know what it's going to do. It, right. it doesn't, like, accept your blame. Yeah, it's like, oh, you're not working within the system, so I can't give you what you want. Whereas with people, right. we can screw it up all day long, and we might still get occasionally what we want, and so then we don't know that <laughs> the system needs to be fixed. Right. I think as as people, we like to blame the system and just wish it were different, whereas we don't do that with computers. Right. We either make it different or we work in it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I was in a mastermind group recently where uh, one of the questions was, how are you all getting new clients? Because I'm like torturing myself going to these networking meetings and I hate it. And I said, well, what are you doing with your website? And she was like, well, nothing. And I was like, okay, well, have you thought about that? And she's, yeah, but I don't have the money to pay someone and I don't want to do it myself. And I'm like, that's it. Those are your only options. <laughs> right. The magical <laughs> website elves are not going to come visit you on Christmas Eve. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Right? That'd be great. That would be a magical website elf. Hang on. Let me see if that domain is available. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to walk out of the room because I was just like, that's, I mean, option three, obviously, is do nothing and keep complaining, right? But that doesn't get you anywhere that you want to be. And so, you know, as someone who just sort of officially took on the mantle of, okay, I'm going to make a product that helps teach business owners, especially non-technical business owners, how to do websites that actually help their business. This is something that I encounter a lot. The people who are like, well, I just want to use Wix because it's easier. And like, nobody ever says to me, oh, I use Squarespace or Wix because it's more effective and I get a ton of clients from it. Like nobody ever says that to me. It's always, <laughs> it's easier. And so it's, I'm like, it's all about them as opposed to the results. Right. And so I'm getting way better at just sort of filtering those people out, you know, right away. Because I'm like, you're not the person I can help because you don't have the money to pay me, you know, five or 10 grand to just build this for you. And you don't know how to do it yourself. And I'm saying, I will teach you how to do it yourself, but you still have to do it yourself. So if they're the type that's like, well, it's hard, so I don't want to do it. It's like, well, your business doesn't care. Your customers don't really care if it's hard. Like, whether something is hard or not has nothing to do with whether you should do it. <laughs> if it's hard, that means you probably should do it. That's probably the way to success. And your customers are going through the exact same process, right? They're looking for a bed and breakfast to stay in, and your your website doesn't make it obvious how to contact you or how to use your services, I'm going to go find some other bed and breakfast who bothered to spend a little bit more time on their site. You know, it's the exact same process of like, well, this is hard, so I'm not going to do it. Exactly. Oh, that's good. I'm going to use that. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah. So you have to find the people who are like really grateful that like, oh, this is hard and you're going to help me. Awesome. Let's go. And so, you know, those people are fewer and farther between. So it's been interesting and I actually, I'm really looking forward to next year because I have a contract with Prosper Portland, which is basically our business development commission. And they created this inclusive business resource network to help underrepresented founders. Oh, sweet. So the woman who works for this organization came to me and said, everybody's asking for more help with digital marketing. And I said, great, I've been trying to make this course for two years. Why don't you give me some money and I'll finish it? So we just did that deal and we're going to have at least 10, maybe more of their either providers like mentor businesses and or the direct clients that they serve who are going to go be, be one of the first people to go through the course next year. So that's going to be really exciting to actually get feedback from the target audience to say, like, did I really capture this? Is this still too complex? Am I leaving things out because I don't know what I know? I'm really looking forward to that. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, it sounds like part of the process of making your customers successful is choosing customers who have a chance of being successful. It's a large part of the process. And I it took me a while to figure that out. And so now someone called it like the velvet rope, like you're trying to get into the club, right? People mm. are trying to get into the club <laughs> and I'm standing with the velvet rope going, I don't know, do you have what it takes? <laughs> you know, because one of the classic red flags is we're going to do our own content to save money. Again, it's like, unless you are a copywriter, <laughs> that is your yeah. business. Chances are you're not going to come up with the content that's actually going to you know, speak to your audience and convert your website visitors into customers. And so then you're tanking your results in the interest of quote unquote, saving money. Right. Uh, so you're going to save at most a couple thousand dollars, whereas with good copy and a really good site, the upward potential of the revenue you could bring in is orders of magnitude higher. Right. So I do a lot of screening for that. You know, I get, I still get a lot of inquiries that are like, hey, can you set up this theme for us theme for me? Or can you, you know, where over this past year, I've been transitioning out of a development focused company and into a marketing and strategy focused company. And so now I have to screen for, yes, I do, you know, I am a developer and I do have developers on my team, but you don't get them until we know why we're doing this and what result <laughs> we're trying to get. <laughs> so that makes the the screening problem, makes it much easier actually, because it's, it's really apparent really quickly when people are just like, oh yeah, I just want, you know, they just kind of want you to be like their code monkey and, and say like, put this widget over here. And I'm like, yeah, but why, 
why? (laughs) (laughs) What, what's the good we're trying to do here? Your development skills are now a tool, not the product. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The product is, you know, let's grow your bottom line. One of the favorite things I like to do is what I call the underhaul. And that's when you have a website that is really beautiful and has terrible code underneath, or maybe it's good code, but it's super custom. And so no one can touch it, but the developer. And so then what you have is a marketing site that costs a hundred dollars an hour to edit text because no one can touch it except the developer without breaking it. And marketing websites need to be flexible. So, you know, I've gone in quite a few times and just been like, well, you know, this looks fine. Let's just make it usable so you can actually edit things without having to like write PHP or whatever. So I love doing those because then the gain isn't just in like, I don't, there's so many gains. There's not having to, you know, wait a week to send, you know, while you send off a request to go change this testimonial to something else, or there's speed of implementation. There's so many gains by just being able to move quickly. And online marketing now is just like, you don't know what's going to work. So you have to be able to change things. And so that's, that's another thing that I think is a very slowly people are coming to the realization that like having a pixel perfect custom coded marketing website is actually not an asset having something oh, where right, you say, what is perfect you don't know right you've baked in it's like you do this entire project you bake in all of your assumptions maybe you talked to a customer along the way probably not and then you bake in all those assumptions to your website and then you're like oh nobody's buying or nobody's converting and so being able to say okay we're going to get our minimum viable product and then we're going to A-B test the crap out of it and say, well, does this call to action work better? Does this header work better? Does this copy work better? And being able to test that, that's what's actually valuable in marketing websites. Yeah. And, and software in general, I think, because when you get into a system that's complex enough that you can't have it all in your head, which is like all of them now, <laughs> you also don't know what's going to work. Right. Or what's going to cause problems. And like you said, when there is a problem, then that's a gift of, oh, ha, this didn't work the way you thought it does. You have to be able to change it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I just keep talking about this and I figure, you know, at some point I'm going to become a trendsetter. Not that I'm the first one talking about this. I actually found uh, a woman who used to work for Microsoft and she has a whole imperfect website, like growth engine system. And, um, she kind of crystallized like all the things that I was thinking about. I was like, Oh look, she went and completely crystallized this and, you know, made a course to teach people about it. So I was like, yeah, that's totally on the right track. And perfection paralysis is a huge barrier. And uh, I actually relaunched my carveldigital.com site in July. And I did it as a challenge to my email subscribers because I was having all these conversations with people and was all sort of boiling down to, I really want this result, but I don't want to do any work. (laughs) I was like, okay, people, tell me what you're going to do in the next two weeks. Like, I'm going to relaunch my site, which is something I've been talking about since the beginning of the year. So I just sort of did it really quick and dirty. And it totally wasn't perfect, but it was way better than what I had before. And then I've just been improving on it slowly. So we were talking about systems a little bit earlier, and I was curious if you've been able to help any of your clients implement systems uh, to help their businesses run more smoothly and what kind of results that's had for them. Yeah. So, I mean, the site I talked about earlier um, with the shuttles, I mean, just them having the website kind of forced them into a system. (laughs) Because they said they were going to do a thing? Because they said they were going to do a thing. Well, and before it was like people would call you know, everything was over the phone. And so people would have to call and they would ask questions, you know, a lot of the same questions. And then they would say, okay, you know, reserve my spot. But then they don't actually pay until they show up and pay cash. So then it's like, oh, maybe they show, maybe they don't, right? So just the fact of having a website now that has a booking system means like, okay, this is how you have to book. And, you know, all the questions they're all answered on the website. And if new questions come in, then you can just add them to the website. And 
So you save a ton of time. And it sounds like you get better customers or you only talk to the serious ones, right? Yeah. I mean, with the shuttle thing, their customers are a lot of, this is a trail in Northern California. And so they actually get a lot of sort of Silicon Valley people who are tired of staring at screens and like, I want to get back to nature. And so, (laughs) you know, the online booking thing isn't a barrier. It's a, you know, it's a feature, not a bug, right? You're not getting like the woodsy people who are like, what are computers? You're getting like the computer people who are like, oh my God, I need to get to the woods. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't want to talk to anybody on the phone. Right. Like I'm in the process of, I have a client that I do just sort of marketing. We have a marketing retainer. And so part of that is just, yeah, trying to install more systems. Like uh, they're going to start using one password for sharing all their secure passwords and stuff. I went in just this week and we kind of went over how are they using active campaign, both for like prospecting and for just like customer retention and um, newsletter stuff. And so we just kind of went through and I'm like, okay, well, why are you doing it this way? Like you could do this and save some time. And so, yeah, like I think within what I'm slowly moving toward is within the tech stack that I use, helping people use those things to be more efficient. So like active campaign allows you to do a lot of email automation, which means you could send people emails based on like a page that they would visit on your website. So, you know, if they visit a product page, then you can send them an email a day or two later saying like, Oh, Hey, I see you're interested in blah, blah, blah. Like here's a coupon. And so, yeah, helping people implement marketing systems and also just use, I I like to say, the power of robots to save themselves time. So anytime I, basically anytime I see a client doing something that computers could do instead, I'm like, hey, why don't we let the computers do that? Right, because we started out talking about systems that you're building that are programming people. And you did say it was like hard finding people, that that was super messy So if you can build the system into the computer, that can be a lot less messy sometimes. It is. It's just getting the people to agree what the system should be. And then the computers are like, cool, tell me what to do. (laughs) (laughs) And it's way easier to scale. Yeah, it's way easier to scale. But yeah, so it's it's always a mess at some level because as soon as you bring a person into a situation, <laughs> there's potential for mess. Right, but when they bring you in, you're the you're playing the role of the external consultant, and you have a chance to help them decide to use the computer uh, a lot more effectively than they might if they were just on their own, right? Exactly. Yeah, and so. I'm looking forward to doing more of that, like, because I've been in this transition from being like, I'll keep your WordPress up to date to like, hey, let's streamline your business. It's been a struggle really to figure out how to market myself because there's so many different layers. There's the marketing layer, of course. But I think the reason I talk about systems so much is that when you go in to help a client, like if everything in their business is chaos, then you can't suddenly be like, computers will help you. Like you have to, you have to bring order and figure out, you know, what direction are you going first and then computers can help you. So, you know, a good, a good example is I have a client who does delivery of their product, right? They actually have to drive their product to the different customers. And so they came to me and they were like, well, how can we let clients put a note in their order saying when they want it? I said, no, <laughs> you know, you don't want to do that. You don't want to give your clients control over your delivery schedule because then your efficiency is out the window. You want to say, these are the days we deliver. So if you order by this day, you'll get your product by this day because that's a system that you can follow that streamlines your business. Whereas when you start giving away too much power to customers over things, they don't really, you know, like it. sometimes they might need something on a certain day. But if you have the power to just systemize and say, this is how we do it, and then find the the customers who buy into that, that is a far more efficient and profitable way to run your business. And so it's having those conversations where they'll tell me, oh, we're doing it this way. And I'll say, okay, wait, let's just make a process for this. And that will be how it happens. But it's really hard. The more people you have involved, the harder it is to kind of establish those and stick to them. We talked a lot about the importance of change. If you don't have a system, then it's really hard to change the system and make it better. True. Because how do you remember how you did it the last three or four times? Right. If you don't have a system, your system is think really hard about everything all the time. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And a lot of people that I talk to who are solopreneurs, right, they're just they're freelancers or it's just them. 
and I start talking about this stuff and they say, well, it's just me. And I'm like, great, but you're actually present you and future you. And I guarantee you present you is going to do something. And future you is going to be like, what was I thinking? How did I do that? What? (laughs) And so even when it's just me, like the act of writing things down, like I have a ton of things documented now. I have a, I use a tool called System Hub to store all my processes for my business. So I go and look at those all the time because I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. Let me make sure I don't miss a step. And then I'm not spending the energy thinking about it. I'm just looking at the next step and doing it. And that saves me a ton of time, even if it's just, you know, past me talking to present me. (laughs) Well, the mental energy. Yeah. I I wanted to ask you, uh, now that you've like built some repeatable processes how do you iterate and change those um, and make sure they don't ossify? So because I'm looking at them while I'm doing them, if I hit a point where I'm like, well, why is this like this? This could be better. Then I can change it instantly. And, you know, if it's something, if it's someone else, if it's like a virtual assistant or a developer, it's the same thing. If they're doing a task and they are like, hey, I think this could be better this way they can literally comment, you know, on that system and I can get it and go, oh yeah, that's cool. Let's change it. And so the rigidity of the system is balanced by the willingness and the ability to change it instantly and make it better. And then that change for the better, like you keep that forever because you wrote it into the system. You know, this reminds me of something I saw on Twitter just this morning and I, I sent to myself to look at later. It's a Git repository called Git Flight Rules, which is apparently borrowing from a thing in aviation where there's like extremely detailed standard operating procedures for how to deal with a particular thing. And this is a bunch of flight rules around like things that happen in Git that you want to do. Like I wrote the wrong thing in a commit message is one of the, is one of the entries in here, or I accidentally did a hard reset and I want my changes back. Is it like a list of how to deal with those things? Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah, because Git has reversibility, but it's not obvious. <laughs> no, it's not. Nothing in Git is obvious. Yeah, it's been a while since I lived in Git on the daily, too. So if I had to go and do something, I'd be like, what? Well, and so a good example of this is I did a webinar recently. This was something like past me should have written down, right? I forgot that Keynote and Webinar Jam don't play well together. And so when I hit go on my slides, the entire screen for the webinar went black. And when it happened, I was like, oh yeah, I have a vague memory of this happening before. And that's why I did Google slides the time before this. (laughs) 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 But past me didn't write that down. And so present me got to have like five minutes of blank screen before my friend came in and was like, your your slides are blank. (laughs) So that's, a perfect example of like, oh, we need to capture these things so that they don't recur. Yeah. I, for a long time, I had a checklist of things to do when I sat down to get ready to record the podcast. It's like, plug in your microphone. <laughs> and I didn't follow the checklist this morning. And sure enough, I forgot to uh, change my muting application so that when I when I thought I was doing push to talk, I was actually doing push to mute and no one could hear me. Perfect example. And <laughs> The humans are always the weakest link in the system, right? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I had a checklist for that. If only I'd read it. Um, yeah, but yet we also tend to fall back on, oh, well, the human did it wrong. It's a training issue where really if we get our system set up right, especially in software, then the human is prompted to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you read the work the system book, like, Sam's business is a call center. It's basically private 911. So imagine trying to systemize that, like the way that people answer the phone and take messages. Maybe Mandy knows something about this. But they have all these systems in place and they've managed to quantify what makes a good phone call, like what makes a good you know, phone interaction such that they can measure it. it Like something other than how quickly did you get them off the phone? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I don't know the details of it. He doesn't go into it, but they basically managed to quantify it to the degree that they can measure the speed, the effectiveness, the lack of mistakes. I think in one of the podcasts or one of the blog posts, he said there was a call rep who had basically gone like 
something like 17,000 calls without a mistake. Like that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can, if you can do that for a call center, you can basically do it for everything. And they, they have a whole consulting business where they help people implement this. And so I've heard them talk about doing it for like hair salons. You know, they had a woman with a hair salon and she trained all her people in her method so that she could open multiple locations. So when people are like, oh, I can't do that because my thing is special. I'm like, okay, (laughs) if you say so. Keep doing your thing forever and ever and ever. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, you know, but it's tough. It's slow going. Like it takes a little bit before you start to see the value of it. If you don't, if you don't intrinsically see the value of it, then the only way to do it is to like start doing it and sort of prove to yourself that it works. And that, that can take a while. And I think that's why people, maybe they start and they don't, they don't keep going or but I don't know. I feel like I don't have a choice because I'm like, I do want to get my life back at some point. <laughs> so <laughs> this has to happen. In my ideal world, I would love for my services, my client service business to just run completely without me, except for like marketing and sales. The parts where you personally do add the most value. Exactly. Yeah. And then in my other business, I would love to just spend time helping business owners figure out the online marketing thing. Like, I would love to get to the people who are like, I'm just going to use Wix because it's easy and be like, actually, let me show you how you can do this other thing (laughs) that's not as hard as you thought and will actually get you better results. Commercial time. Yay, we're going to take a quick moment to talk to you about giving us money because that's what you need to do. Seriously, though, uh, if you would like to support us, if you like the work that we do and think that we're talking about interesting and important things, and you happen to have some extra money that you can throw at us, uh, please do. Uh, you can support us at patreon.com slash greater than code. And uh, one of the premier benefits, I think, of doing that is that if you donate any amount, and seriously, this can be like a buck. Uh, if you donate any amount, you get access to our Slack community, which is full of like over 200 awesome people who have really interesting conversations about all kinds of stuff. And it's definitely one of the friendliest online communities I've ever been a part of. And it's one of my favorite places to hang out. I'm always excited to see the little new messages icon uh, on that particular Slack. So feel free to support us, patreon.com slash greater than code. Thanks. Now back to the show. Karanda, what's your superpower and how did you acquire it? Oh, I think stubbornness is definitely one of my superpowers, which I I think is necessary as a business owner because you just, there's so much that you have to endure in order to get to the point of having a successful business. So I think that's one of them. I think systemization and documentation, which we've talked a lot about, because I I actually enjoy that stuff because I understand the value of it. I understand how much better the future is going to be for me or whoever I'm doing it for. And that's what makes me enjoy it. And so I think that's definitely one of my superpowers. And also staying focused on what is the core purpose of things. Whenever someone, one of my clients comes to me and says, oh, well, I need to do this. Then I'm always going to say, well, why? What's the outcome that you're striving towards? Because it might, it's kind of like going to the doctor and saying like, well, I need stomach surgery. And the doctor's going to be like, well, okay, slow your roll there. Like, let's run some tests and tell me your <laughs> symptoms and let's figure out what's really going on. So that's what I like to do for clients and the tech things that they ask me for, just to figure out, okay, well, what's really going on? What's the actual goal? Because maybe you don't need what you think you need. Maybe you need more than you think you need. Maybe we could do something that's way cheaper than what you thought you were going to have to pay, you know? And so I think those are some of my superpowers. How did you get so stubborn? Genetics, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Long line of stubborn women. Um, Yeah, I I think that's probably most of it. And let's hope that I keep my memory when I get old because my grandmother is 93. (laughs) So can't remember anything. Still stubborn. (laughs) It's not a good combination, is it? (laughs) No, it's... it's, Yeah, it's fun times. All right. So we've reached the point of the show where we get to do reflections, which is where we 
look back at something that really stood out for us during the call or uh, something that we would like to remind the listeners of, uh, something that we f- think they could look into, or something that you learned that was really interesting. Who would like to start? Oh, me, me. So, Corona, while you were talking, especially early in the show, about how you look at one thing that you're doing and you figure out how to fix it forever, I totally do that. But, like, as a developer, I'm doing that in code about code. So, like, the other day, I was like, I need to make a change to I don't know how many build files and I don't know how many of our 220 repositories. And I am not going to go look at every one. Besides which, some other time I'm going to want to do changes to a bunch of build files again. And I work at Atomist, and this is like what we build as tools to make this kind of automation easier. So I wrote a program to look through all the build files and tell me which ones were still doing git tag, which is now going to fail on Travis. And I wrote a program to change those to send us an event and our other automation makes the tags in one place instead of in a thousand build files. Okay, not a thousand, but a hundred. Anyway, so even as developers, like as we're writing automation for other people, we can also think at a meta level and automate the parts of our jobs so that then we can spend more thinking about the interesting part of code, like how to achieve the results that we want. And it works everywhere. Yeah. It does take like an extra level of caring and thought You have to be willing to think harder than you have to think to do your work, to think about how you do your work and how you can not have to do that work ever again. That's a really good point. Yeah. So you have to have the extra capacity, but once you spend it, you get a lot more of that extra mental capacity back later. Yes. Yes. You can use your your little pieces of slack that you use to think extra hard to increase the amount of free time you have later, and then you can hang out with your friends. So I think you've just encapsulated like my entire life mission there without a example, <laughs> basically, because, you know, when you, when you start talking about business, like a business owner comes to you and they're like, okay, I need a website. And that's all they're thinking about. And then I start talking about like, well, why, and who are your customers? And they don't want to do that. Like, that's the hard work. That's the thinking, right? That if you did it would give you like, in this case, not necessarily extra slack, but you know, extra customers or extra time, like the thinking. And that's what people are, they're too busy killing fires or they're too in a hurry to do. So that was amazing. Yeah. And killing fires feels productive. That's why I was surprised when you said, you said that people find this boring. It's not boring. It's just hard. (laughs) Right. Well, and I guess to some people, that's the same thing. (laughs) Yes. Because some people have a higher need for cognition than others. How so? Need for cognition. It's a personality characteristic, and it's how much you want to think about things. Think about why. Think about puzzles. Oh, interesting. I've not heard that one before. Right? Isn't that a cool phrase? That's my phrase of the week. It's on Wikipedia. (laughs) Oh, I better go look it up then. Nice. Uh, Okay, well, I'll go next. I think one of the things that is a recurring theme for me that we talked about is things that are easy versus things that are effective. And that's a recurring theme in a lot of the stuff that I talk about, a lot of the struggles that I have with, you know, business owners are usually not, usually not with my clients, because if they've reached the stage of being my client, they're probably not a person who wants to take the easy way all the time. But in potential clients and people who come to me and, and ask me for help, you know, a lot of them are just interested in, you know, what's the easiest thing. And that's often not going to be the thing that gets you the result that you want. And so... I'm just continually looking for people who, Simon Sinek, who wrote the book Start With Why, says that people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. You want to sell to people who believe what you believe, and you want to hire people who believe what you believe. And so that's the mindset I have when I'm you know, talking to potential clients or potential employees or potential partners is, do we have a compatible view about the worth of doing hard things. And what you talked about, Jessica, was really slowing down to speed up, right? Instead of just bullying through and going like, let me go look at these 200 files. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, yeah. let me back up and think about how I could fix this forever. And it's a rare skill. It's probably less rare among developers, but it is a rare sort of skill and personality type to, to find the people who understand the value of doing that. I'm getting a lot of quotes. There's going to be a bunch of tweets from this episode. (laughs) (laughs) 
So earlier on in the in the call, I was thinking about a talk that I saw actually last night at the Portland Ruby user group. And it was actually not a technical talk. It was about uh, executive dysfunction. Dana Scheider gave a really interesting presentation about um, what executive dysfunction is and talked about some strategies that you can use to mitigate it. And uh, one of the things that she talked about was this idea of making decision rules. One example from my own life is when I, I was a vegetarian for quite a few years and I found it much easier to go through a menu at a restaurant, right? Because having that decision rule of don't eat anything with meat in it narrowed the menu down to like three things that I could then choose between. And it, I was actually always ready to order as soon as I sat down and saw the menu. So by executive dysfunction, you mean like your brain? Because at first I thought this was going to be like how to fix your boss. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, there's a there's a part of your brain in the frontal lobe that uh, there's a whole set of things that the frontal lobe of your brain does that are collectively referred to as executive function. There are things about like planning and sequencing and making sure you're paying attention to the right thing and thinking about time and, and so on. Um, and when those things don't work, you really have a really hard time functioning in this world. And mm. so having a decision rule makes it so that, you know, it's like having a, a mini system that's like one thing, you know, I will eat A, B or C for breakfast, which means that, you know, you only have to, you don't have to burn the cognitive fuel to figure out like what from the infinite possibility of, of food items uh, you, I'm going to eat this morning. And that's just seems like uh, something useful that we can learn from neurodivergent folks. I feel like there's other ways that we can look out for that sort of thing. That's great, though. I, I actually had a client and she teaches people with ex executive function deficits how to manage their time. Nice. Um, and I worked with her for like two years and it was it was interesting because I'd be like, OK, this is what we're doing this month. And then three days later, I'd be like, oh, my God, we need this right now. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was interesting. Well, that's our show. And we'll be back at you as soon as we possibly can. Thanks, everybody. Mandy cut that last. It was too desperate. <laughs>